Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager. And in this episode, I'm joined by Nicolo Bragaza, Associate Portfolio Manager at Morningstar. So thank you for joining me today, Nicolo. Thank you for having me. Um, so can we... Thank you. Um, so can we just start with um, you giving us a bit of an introduction into yourself and how you got started in... Um, financial services yeah of course so i've been working in financial services for uh, um, seven years now um, mm-hmm. basically all of them here in the uk um, i've been working with morningstar for uh, uh, next february six years and uh, my my journey started first as a as a fund selector um, and then uh, i joined morningstar as a, as an analyst to become then uh, a pm mm-hmm. uh, managing um, um morningstar portfolios here in the uk manage portfolios and now i, I co-manage also the the multi asset fund and with regards to the morningstar portfolios that i'm managing i'm managing the uh, passive strategy uh, the um, and the um, uh, ESG strategy, which obviously will be uh, the main topic of, of today. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to it. Okay, so yeah, we are going to be talking about ESG, um, but off the basis of COP28 and its impact. Um, so to kick things off, could you provide our listeners with an overview of what COP28 is, for those who might not know by now, um, and its significance in the realm of sustainable investing? Yeah, of course. So first of all, COP28 is the 28th edition of the Conference of the Parties, mm-hmm. from which we have the acronym COP. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is within the framework of the United Nations uh, uh, Convention on Climate Change. Um, every year, leaders from around the world gather in order to assess the progress uh, of um, of climate change solutions and policies, and they try to discuss solutions uh, in the fight against the climate change. This year, the summit will be held in Dubai, mm-hmm. and uh, as per the letter sent by the incoming uh, presidency, um, it will be mainly focused on four issues. The first is uh, uh, fast tracking the energy transition. Mm-hmm. And the the question around the reduction of emissions uh, before 2030. The second will be around transforming climate finance. The the third will be um, around putting nature, people, lives and livelihoods at the heart of the climate action. Mm -hmm. And the fourth will be mobilizing um, uh, for for the most inclusive uh, COP ever. So obviously, um, this is a a, a very important uh, 
conference that is held every year and it has some uh, impact i would say more indirect impact on on the uh, on the financial world rather mm-hmm. than a direct one especially the one uh, of investing and the one that is really close to financial advisors and this is because it has a more direct impact because uh, it may highlight certain themes and longer and long-term goals that might be relevant for sustainable investors. So I would say that it's it it is not really an action of central banks, which is obviously a direct, uh, uh, which obviously has a direct impact. Uh, on, on markets, but it's rather more indirect. So by signaling the uh, the the most pressing topics for policymakers, indirectly can also um, highlight the importance of certain long term themes for for investors. Right, and how have the outcomes of previous COPs um, influenced the landscape of ESG investing? I know that you said that they've been indirect. Um, So how have those influenced um, ESG investing and the role of financial advisors in guiding their clients? Yeah, I think that it's always difficult to estimate the impact of a single annual conference in in, in isolation and mm-hmm. uh, how it may uh, affect uh, the landscape of uh, ESG and sustainable investing. However, however, we can have an idea of how historically uh, and over time the impact has been. And what we have seen since at least uh, the end of 2015 with the Paris Agreement is mm-hmm. that the size and the importance um, uh, of sustainable investing uh, have grown significantly. Mm-hmm. And this is true, by the way, across many dimensions. It's true in terms of assets, uh, it's true in terms of products, and it's true in terms of the number of people showing interest in sustainable investing. And with people, I mean both investors, but also clients. There's There are still some geo- geographical discrepancies in terms of adoption to sustainable investing. Um, and this is especially true for the U.S., especially once we compare the US with with Europe which is really the at the forefront of sustainable investing i would say mm-hmm. if we look at morning and just to put things into into um, into more context, uh, if we look at some of Morningstar figures uh, when it comes to sustainable investing and the size of the market, uh, we have seen that uh, the the size of the sustainable fund landscape uh, has globally grown from around 500 billions in in uh, in 2017, and it is now around three trillions. Wow! So we are talking of a 500 percent cumulative growth in six years. So mm-hmm. obviously this is not just a function of a single conference, but it's mm-hmm. it's more about uh, the kind of signal that investors and financial companies have received over over uh, over and over again and over mm-hmm. time from from policymakers and the and the importance of the of the of the um, of sustainable investing overall. And I mm-hmm. think that in this growth advisors have had a very important role and still have a very important role because they represent 
the first point of contact for investors mm-hmm. um, and they play a very important role in their understanding of the sustainable landscape and whether sustainable investing actually fit uh, the financial needs uh, of their clients and whether the, it reflects their personal values as well, which is another important point of ESG and sustainable investing. Yeah, yeah, those are all very good points. And um, you've been leading the construction of Morningstar's uh, ESG portfolio uh, range for over four years now, uh, which is very impressive. Um, And could you share uh, how these portfolios have evolved since their inception and what insights you've gained along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a very interesting journey. So Mm -hmm. we launched the portfolios in at the end of April 2019. And I think that the investment landscape was significantly different from today, yeah. especially in terms of product availability mm-hmm. and the depth of ESG markets overall. Uh, on top of this, I think uh, uh, there was, so just, just to take a step back, we are valuation-driven investors, and so we pay a lot of attention to valuations, mm-hmm. um, and we invest in those assets that exhibit the best uh, um, expected returns uh, um, adjusted for, for the risk, and valuation is a big part of those expected returns. Mm-hmm. And, on, and so when we launched the ESG portfolios, we also noticed that uh, a lot of ESG markets uh, look more expensive than conventional markets, and this was as a, a product of the fact that a function of the fact that these markets tend to have very low exposure to sectors that in 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 the until 2022 were very cheap, like mm-hmm. energy, financials, and what and what are called seen stocks, such as tobacco, for example. So given the low exposure to these sectors, ESG markets tended to be more uh, um, expensive from a valuation standpoint and also more exposed to growth stocks like tech stocks. Um, And so when we started, we... um, we and given that we are valuation driven investor we were not just constrained in terms of the numbers of investment vehicles available at that time because in the mm-hmm. last four years the number of products have grown uh, really strongly but also we were also constrained by what we could actually invest in based on on the prices we were paying for those assets Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was a, a significant challenge that we tried to assess within our portfolios by obviously trying to overweight those assets that were more attractively priced and underweighting those assets that were least uh, attractively priced. Um, and this was obviously in, in consistency with our main exclusion criteria, because obviously our strategy has some exclusion criteria. Mm-hmm. And when then 2008, 22 uh, arrived, um, some of the worries that we had around valuations came into reality as this price of expensive tech stocks overly represented in ESG indices started to fall and our underweight to, to them were finally paying off. But I think that it's also important to, yes, 2022 was a very painful year for ESG yeah. investor. 
But last year, at the end of 2022, I wrote an, an article and, um, with the title 2022 Anuzorribilis for ESG, but the mm-hmm. night is darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wanted to convey the message that uh, when you have seen such a sharp drop in valuation, yeah. and you have seen also the rally in energy stocks on the other side, that means that the prospect for ESG stocks uh, were significantly better than just 12 months before. And this was mm-hmm. actually a good thing in the end for, for ESG investors. Yeah. And um, with COP28 bringing increased attention to um, climate-related issues, how have you integrated climate considerations into the ESG portfolios you manage? Yes. So I think it's important to point out, first of all, uh, that our ESG portfolios are ESG generalist and Mm -hmm. pay more attention to the reduction in ESG risk. So we don't have a specific uh, climate focused mandate. I think it's Mm -hmm. important to point this out because Mm -hmm. I think that with climate oriented mandate, uh, they usually have this kind of path toward net zero. And so they invest in those companies that are aligned to this path mm-hmm. to net zero. We invest through funds, so we don't invest in uh, in direct stocks. So we have, a, um, we have less, uh, um, how can I say, we have less flexibility in this regard to decide the path. So we invest through funds. And so obviously... We have a more uh, generalist approach to ESG. And I would say that although we don't have a climate-focused mandate, uh, environmental consideration indirectly um, affect our positioning. And this is through the fact that ESG risk, which is our main um, theoretical um, um, guiding principle, um, is a financial risk. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a big polluter, a big mm-hmm. emitter, mm-hmm. Uh, what you face is a very challenging environment for, for you, both in yeah. terms of um, regulation and uh, the risk of uh, fines that you may mm-hmm. get and, um, and lawsuits. Um, um, and cost, additional cost that you need to that you need to that you need to incur in order to 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 be aligned to the to the to the net zero transition. And so, mm-hmm. given all this kind of risk, we have been structurally underweight uh, all those sectors that are big emitters and polluters. Um, and this translated into the fact that our portfolios. Um, generally receive the low carbon, um, they, they have a low carbon footprint, sorry, mm-hmm. um, and um, and generally they receive the low carbon designation, our ESG portfolios, from, which is a classification from Morningstar, which uh, is given to funds with low exposure to fossil fuels and mm-hmm. low exposure to carbon risk, which is a byproduct of the fact that we want to reduce ESG risk as much as possible. So we try to blend together financial and ESG consideration by saying, Mm -hmm. look, these are really the same thing. 
Yeah. And as you said previously, ESG has uh, in ESG investing has gained momentum. Um, but I do find that it is still something that is quite complex for both advisors and their clients. So what strategies or tools do you recommend for financial advisors to effectively communicate and educate their clients about the nuances of ESG investing? Yeah, I think I think uh, advisors have a very important educational role when it comes to ESG investing. And this is because there is a never-increasing number of labels and acronyms. And these obviously represent a challenge for you know the end clients and investor that mm-hmm. that are really that need really need to have an idea, a clear idea of what they are buying. They need to understand exactly what they are buying. Mm-hmm. And so Advisors really need to help their clients in navigating the complexity of ESG investing. And this is, can be done by highlighting the characteristics of investments from both an ESG and a financial standpoint, reminding their clients that there is a connection between the two elements and mm-hmm. that ESG is not just about doing good. Yeah. Um, so I think... In this regard, advisors uh, need to explain to their clients that reducing ESG risk means reducing the financial risk of the companies they invest they invest in, and therefore of their portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 this is something that we have seen in the last few years, where actually ESG investing was just another way of doing growth investing in some ways. Mm-hmm. And this is also where advisors have a role because when you invest in ESG markets, sustainable funds, uh, you, you have certain um, exposures to the market. ESG investing is still investing and therefore mm-hmm. um, you need to be aware of those uh, intrinsic biases of sustainable investing mm-hmm. because obviously as you exclude energy companies as you exclude uh, utilities with a lot of coal power generating uh, plants mm-hmm. uh, as you exclude banks involved in scandals uh, as you exclude tech companies with very poor treatment of their de- of, of of customer data Mm-hmm. all these kind of issues, you end up with a very restricted universe. Yeah. And this means that uh, uh, you have different risk and returns compared to conventional markets. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it is very important to highlight uh, that there are many shades of ESG investings with uh, impact investing uh, being, uh, I would say, the greenest of all, let's say. Yeah. And that... Uh, this kind of strategy not to, uh, seeks uh, seek to make uh, a positive impact along with providing a financial returns. Yeah, and also I think advisors need to clearly tell their clients that with different shades of ESG investing, also different risk and return characteristics come along. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what we have done uh, in our in, in, at Morningstar uh, was that we have been applying to ESG markets the same valuation-driven approach of the other assets, trying mm-hmm. to estimate their expected returns and risk 
in order to construct better portfolios. Because as you get different exposures, you need to have different risk and return numbers. Because Mm -hmm. it's the only way in which you can actually build better portfolios. Um, And so this has led us, for example, that... uh, uh, generally, ESG markets had higher value at higher valuation than conventional markets, mm-hmm. and also has led our underway to US equities compared to UK equities. Uh, um, and and instead, we were pretty f- we were more fair, favorable of, for example, Asian equities or German equities more recently, for example. Yeah, and um you touched on talking about returns a little bit earlier and i wanted to go back to that as a portfolio manager how do you address concerns from financial advisors who might worry about sacrificing returns for the sake of esg principles and we did talk about this briefly before we started recording about how um rishi sunak had um kind of walked back some of those net zero goals so then maybe some clients perceptions might also lean away from you know ESG principles because they don't know what their returns will, might look like in the future yes i think i think that's uh, that's a very important point and as as i said i think we have been noticing this kind of discrepancy between ESG and conventional markets since the beginning in mm-hmm. the sense that with higher valuations we saw expected returns being lower and this mm-hmm. was probably against uh, most of the conventional wisdom around ESG investing, because there is always a lot of excitement around the newest thing that drive up expectations of return. But actually, ESG investing is no different from other type of investing. You need to pay attention to valuation if you want really to uh, get the highest and most attractive returns. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very important uh, um, that a clear and honest conversation between advisors and their clients um, mm-hmm. takes place when it comes to expected returns and risk and the opportunity cost of ESG investing. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, if you apply a very strict exclusionary approach, it is very it is quite likely that your expected returns may be lower. And Mm -hmm. that the portfolio construction may be somewhat weakened. And this means that uh, um, you cannot really, for example, um, you will be be performing very well when it's Mm -hmm. the right time for you. But in most of other market environments, you will be penalized. And this is not great for investors that seek both financial and um, ESG goals. At mm-hmm. the same time, with the same degree of importance. Mm-hmm. So, in this regard, I think that advisors need to pay important, uh, need to pay uh, attention to valuation, and uh, they need to um, think about portfolios that are robust. Um, and and in this way, and in this regard, they should think of providing that kind of robustness by using alternative ways of providing protection and that diversification. So you need to really to use all your toolkit as an investor to provide that kind of um, you know uh, that kind of robustness to portfolios once you have reduced the exposures to certain part of the market structurally. 
because yeah. uh, tobacco stocks, for example, are are very good for uh, historically have been very good for recessions because yeah. they they don't suffer uh, the say to the same extent of other more cyclical sector. But if you mm-hmm. exclude them from portfolios, you are excluding a way to provide some defensiveness within your equity allocation. Mm. And so where do you get that kind of defensiveness within your equity allocation? One way would be, for example, to think about a sector with, with similar defensive properties and maybe more aligned to some positive um, you know, uh, to provide some positive impact as well. And yeah. one natural choice would be, for example, the healthcare sector. The healthcare mm-hmm. sector is more defensive uh, than other sectors such as financials or tech or cons- communication services, mm-hmm. but it's also aligned to some of the positive uh, themes around uh, providing better care um and um, improving well-being yeah so this this is the way to to blend together ESG and invest and in an investment consideration to provide defensiveness to a portfolio once you have eliminated structure in the exposure to something that is it's actually pretty pretty uh, defensive in a, such as tobacco mm-hmm. um and I think that portfolio managers as well can still do a great job in ensuring that returns are good uh, by mm-hmm. paying attention to valuation and by constructing portfolios that have no strong bets and can mm-hmm. with- withstand different economic and market environment. Yeah. And kind of moving on from that, y- what you've talked about kind of highlights how um there's always a question around, you know, the performance of ESG portfolios compared to traditional ones. Um, so can you share some insights into how the morning stru- sorry, the Morningstar ESG portfolios have performed over the past few years? I know that you kind of touched on it earlier. Yeah, I think that um we 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 can have a look to, for example, we have uh, the, the Morningstar database for models uh, uh, managed portfolios here in the UK, which is obviously our our uh, universe of, of reference for our portfolios. And obviously, there are uh, our peers are the sustainable portfolios. Mm-hmm. So what, what you've seen generally is that uh, 2022, for example, for our portfolios, which was a very painful year for many managers, was mm-hmm. actually in relative perspective a good year for our portfolios because we were underweight certain tech stocks. Mm-hmm. We were underweight uh, certain area, expensive areas of the market, and we had more UK stocks, um, um, which which helped last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but obviously, once you co- and if you compare since inception our UK uh, ESG portfolios against our own. Uh, strategies such as the conventional ones so with no ESG integration in the asset allocation mm-hmm. we can see that generally since inception they have performed in line uh, obviously until 2000 at the end of 2021 ESG portfolios performed more strongly mm-hmm. and better than the others but then obviously in 2022 in, the, in these portfolios, we have a strong exposure to energy stocks. We mm-hmm. have a strong exposure to uh, other tobacco also stocks. And so they helped. 2022 mm-hmm. was really the... Uh, and so 
in 2022, obviously, ESG portfolio underperforms our active and passive portfolios. Right. Um, and then in 2022 was a very challenging year for, for mm-hmm. ESG markets more generally um, because we had what I would call a perfect storm. Right. High inflation followed by higher rates mm. significantly impacting the high valuations of, of stocks. And then we had the war in Ukraine. Right. So these things, two things combined, and I will explain why they, it's so it's so interesting to, to look at this, are really uh, the perfect storm for ESG mm-hmm. stocks because think of the two things. So high inflation and higher interest rates impacting higher valuations. Yeah. Generally, uh, tech stocks were heavy heavily represented in ESG portfolios, and so they got hit. But also the the high inflation driven by commodity prices was a perfect uh, tailwind for energy stocks. Mm -hmm. The perfect conditions for uh, energy stocks materialized, and those were not represented in ESG indices. On top of that, uh, you had a war, which means more demand for weapons. And defense stocks as well are not in ESG indices and and funds because of their exclusion through you know to to weapons more generally, mm-hmm. and so you really had all the, the the sectors not represented in ESG indices having a fantastic 2022. Whilst the sector most represented in ESG markets were the ones that suffered the most. So it was really a very tough year for for sustainable investors. Yeah, I can imagine. But I hope that we're coming on the other end of that tunnel, I guess. Um, So looking ahead, I don't know, you might have a crystal ball somewhere there. Um, How do you anticipate the ESG investing landscape to evolve, um, considering the commitments made at COP28? We don't know what commitments might be made. We don't know who might be walking back as well, joining with um, along with the UK. And how should financial advisors kind of prepare for any potential changes that might come as a result of that directly yeah. or indirectly yeah i think uh, as i mentioned at the beginning uh, it is difficult to gauge the direction of travel from a single conference mm. and also i think that the the, the the path for sustainable investing broadly has been already shaped from a product perspective mm-hmm. so we have climate focused solution will be an mm-hmm. important part of the ESG markets. And we have seen the growth of these over the last few years. And I think that also more investors will gain familiarity with thematic investing, which mm-hmm. allows to target specific long-term themes linked to the, to the energy transition and the inev- and inevitable industrial changes that come with it. Mm-hmm. In addition, in addition to this, I think that another area that could be interesting is engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, some would point out that improvement through engagement uh, with companies make, you know, you know, some some people would argue that through engagement you can overcome the traditional weaknesses of ESG investing, which is yeah. lower returns, because mm-hmm. with engagement you are not really. Excluding the losers, 
but mm-hmm. you you are trying to engage with them in order to make them better and cause that re-rating uh, that is particularly uh, good for performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may be another area of interest to, um, to look at for, for the next few years. Uh, and obviously, you know, in this regard, advisors need to stay on top of the market mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and try to develop uh, an even deeper knowledge of product and themes. Um, and a lot of work, I think, should be done in explaining in, and communicating in plain language with clients um, uh, about the, you know, the, 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 the nature of these themes and whether, uh, you know, uh, these may be suitable for you know the 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 willingness and the ability to take risk of, of these clients because obviously themes are implemented today with the mm-hmm. companies that we have today and so there is always an an intrinsic element of risk here because mm-hmm. the 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 perceived winners of today for a certain team or a certain uh, you know um investment uh, um development may not be the winners of tomorrow which is mm-hmm. which is what really matters for for performance so that's something that it's uh, that's really an area where invest uh, investors and also advisors uh, need to be very um need to pay a lot of attention to yeah and lastly could you share any resources or recommendations for further learning about ESG investing and its intersection with global climate agreements? Yes, I think that uh, the we are lucky in the sense that uh, the PRI website, uh, the, the um, it's really probably the first. Uh, um it's one of the best uh, sources of knowledge when it comes to sustainable investing and mm-hmm. and uh, um the you know they they provide a lot of information around the most uh, um uh, advanced conversation when it comes not just to sustainable investing and the theor- and, and and the theory behind it but also when it comes to best practices uh, to implement ESG and integrate ESG into investing. So really, I think that once you once you start looking at the PRI website, that's really where uh, you can find very uh, valuable and interesting information when it comes mm-hmm. to sustainable investing. Obviously, um, there has been also uh, a growth in uh, in um in certifications and um and learning materials um that are available to people that wants to dig a little bit more uh, into uh, sustainable investing um but yeah i think that the first thing to do is really to have a look to the pri website principles for responsible investment because mm-hmm. it's it's really rich and dense, and there are a lot of information that uh, uh, that may prove very, very useful for, for advisors. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you for speaking with me today, Nicolo. I feel like I learned a lot about ESG, or a lot more. 
Thank you very much, Kimberly. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.